Susie and I are back with your CVU School Counselor podcast. The first part of today's podcast will be discussing the plan test or pre-ACT and how to interpret your results. All right, Susie, what is the plan test? So Russ, I always call it the pre-ACT. Um, plan is another way to say it, but I'm a pre-ACT gal. And uh, pre-ACT is, um, you know, P is the operative word here, practice. It's a practice ACT. And it's designed to help students get an understanding and a feel for the ACT test, which is one of the standardized tests that colleges use um, as one optional, now increasingly optional, um, piece of um, evidence on, you know, a holistic look at a student in terms of college admissions. Um, the one thing about the pre-ACT that I think is a benefit to some students is the career interest survey section. Students can get a lot of information and data around some career interest um, information based on the answers they give to that um, section of the pre-ACT. So we at CVU took a day in October, October 12th, I think, and we gave the pre-ACT to any sophomore who was interested. We gave the pre-SAT, which we will talk about in part two, uh, to any junior who was interested. District paid for it all. Um, and the, the, the pre-ACT consists of four main parts, five if you include that career interest component. There's English components, math components, reading, and science components. So one of the ways that people have always articulated differences between SAT and ACT is the ACT tends to be a little bit more uh, oriented in curriculum. All right, Rye, how is the plan test scored? Well, Russ, so like on the ACT, students are given an overall composite score, um, which can range anywhere from 1 to 32. That is actually different from the ACT, which is on a 1 through 36 scale. Why? I don't I know. I can't tell you why. Um, it's so just silly. It is silly. So the plan score report uh, also lists scores on each individual test, English, math, reading, science. Um, each which range from 1 to 32. The uh, students are able to see how they're scored in comparison to other students taking the plan, or the pre-ACT as we call it, at their school, uh, in their state, and nationwide. And because no test can measure educational development with absolute precision, precision, it's best to think of each of your ACT plan scores as a range rather than as a precise point. All right, and just so you all have some context to what we're talking about, you should have your plan, your student's plan test results mailed home. Look at me, I'm talking with my hands, like you can all see. Um, those score results should be mailed home so you can actually look at the scales. You will be able to see the uh, your student's answers to questions, whether they got the questions right, whether they got the questions wrong, and we will be handing out actual test booklets, which make for decent study materials should you choose. Some students choose to start their wood stove with it. We'll leave that decision up to you all. Um, Susie, I'm going to ask you this question because I know you do a lot of work with students who are thinking about um, some alternative pathways, and we can tie some of the career questions into CVU, but we've also got a lot of students who are thinking about tech. So can you talk to us about what the career questions were all about? 
So career questions are an opportunity for you to get uh, just a, a, a quick look at some of the um, interest areas that you might have and how they relate to occupations in the world of work. Um, your ACT plan score helps you start by focusing on a few career areas. Um, those career areas differ in their um, involvement with work, basic work tasks, which include people, data, things, and ideas. So having students understand how they work best in these um, four basic work tasks can help them um, you know, use their score profile to look at the world of work um, from a lens that is a little more um, directional. Again, we can sit down with students and try and tie all of this into CBU courses. We can tie it all into Tech Center courses. There's a lot we can do to make it all relevant. All right. So we realized that after going only five minutes to talk about the plan, that we're going to put it all together into one maybe shorter podcast. But we're going to talk about the PSAT, or as Susie calls it, the pre-SAT, which we also gave to students on that day in October. Um, and we have our special guest for today, our lead counselor, Rye Hoffman, who I'm, I'm going to turn it over to him and ask him to take the lead on talking about the PSAT. All right, Rye, tell us about the PSAT. Thank you for passing that torch, Russ. I really appreciate it. I'm um, sure. <laughs> so, yes, the PSAT was... Uh, offered to all juniors this past October, and um, and scores are, have now been released. Students should have received an email from College Board to access their account um, if they took the PSAT. Um, and that PSAT, as Susie was talking about with um, the pre-ACT, is really the practice test for the SAT. Um, SAT is going to be offered for juniors in April, on April 12th this year. Um, and so... Uh, that PSAT and that PSAT score can really be uh, helpful in practicing for um, the SAT and really to give students a glimpse of what the SAT will be like. Um, you know what I tell students that day, about that day? Okay. Do not have a Mountain Dew and a glazed donut. Mm. What should you have on the morning of a long test? What do you suggest for breakfast? Uh, a meal that's not going to make you hyper or one that's not going to make you fall asleep. Protein feeds the brain. Yeah. Peanut butter, eggs, mm -hmm. protein. And bring your calculators. Bring your calculators. And your num number two pencils, because they are in short supply, and we don't have a ton of extras. Um, so one of the things I'm just going to put out there before Rye continues is just I'm going to further plug the, the podcast with our three local colleges, UVM, Middlebury, and Dartmouth. Um. Because if there's anything good to have come out of COVID, it is that a lot of the colleges are moving towards and talk to us a lot about how they're moving into becoming test optional and whether they're going to continue that policy or return to, to testing. Um, and so we think that it's a good idea. My advice is to my students is that I want them to sit for the SAT. I want them to take these standardized tests because I think it's good practice and it, it gives you the option of looking at your score in the context of your fellow CBU students or within the context of a specific department. 
or curriculum area and determining whether or not that test score um, adds value to your overall application or if your application um, is strong without your standardized test score. So, Rye, onward. <laughs> Again, just beautiful with the pass of the torch. With the torch passing? You're doing great. All right. So um, with PSATs and SATs, as Russ was talking about, um, we do still you know, recommend that most students uh, who are considering uh, looking at college applications consider taking um, either the SAT or the ACT. Um, around this area in, in New England, most students kind of lean towards SAT. Um, and again, that's what we we're going to be offering in April. Um, students can use those PSAT scores that they have and sync them with a Khan Academy account, which is a free online resource um, that will basically create a customized uh, SAT training platform uh, based on their PSAT scores. So it's a really nice, free, convenient, um, and simple way to practice um, on being prepared for the SAT um, and, and getting ready for that, that date in April. Um, some students even take the SAT more than once. Uh, again, here at CBU, we offer uh, all juniors to take it in April, uh, but students can take it privately as well or you know, on their own um, at other area sites by going to collegeboard.org and signing up for an additional SAT uh, assessment uh, should they choose. One of the things I like about um, you know the testing culture right now is the pressure is off, yeah. right? So you use this test as you said, Russ, as an asset, right? If it if if the profile of the of your score on the test compared to your peers and the college you're applying to all fits to make it an asset for you, then that's great, right? But the pressure is off in the sense that you don't have to submit the score to the overwhelming majority of schools. You know, some schools still require it. A few programs out there um, I know still required it. But overwhelmingly, if you're not a tester and you don't, you know, this is not your jam, it's okay. So you can, can kind of go into the test with like this, you know, this attitude of like, all right, I'm going to do my very best, but this is not a game changer. Yeah. I think another piece is like, you know, one reason why we still do, you know, recommend the students consider taking the SAT or one of these assessments is because, you know, we're talking about juniors and we don't assume that all juniors know exactly where they are going to be applying um, or what they're truly going to be looking at in their senior year. So um, to Susie's point, it doesn't have to be this high stakes test like it used to be in the past. Um, it can be one more data point and data set that could be uh, used in applications. Um, but then again, it might not be. And so, um, but Luckily, here at CVU, uh, we offer it for all of those students. They don't have to make special arrangements to take the test, um, and and it's available right here in the in the building. And I think is uh, a sneak preview into the we'll, we'll call the second part with the college counselors part two. Um, there, there's some interesting data out there around student success on the college campus when they look at students who submitted test scores versus those that didn't. And if uh, at present, the feedback I'm receiving is that they aren't seeing significant difference between those two populations. And so, and they also need more data to confirm those results. And because of that, we're looking at UVM moving to 2026 where they're gonna remain test optional. And then you have on the flip side of that, you have MIT, which quickly moved back to required 
uh, testing because they do feel that it that it adds value to the application in context with with other pieces. Great site um, that is called www.fairtest.org. I will link it in the show notes where you can get a look and see what schools are looking at in terms of uh, optional test score um, tests or not. And I love the name of that because you know what I think they are learning about this at test is it's not necessarily fair that different schools prepare at different levels. Um, different demographics do better than others. So it's a really hard a test to really measure student success. Um, so that is, uh, you know, that's something that colleges are realizing is they're finding that students who don't necessarily do well in these tests are doing just fine on their college campuses. Uh, so, Ride, do you, are you able to go and take a couple minutes and talk to families about when they log in to see their score reports, what they might actually see and kind of interface with on the College Board website? Sure. So when you when a student activates their account, um, they will then have access to be able to view their score. Um, and that score, again, similar to how we talked about with pre-ACT, and also I can't uh, tell you exactly why this is the case, but the score range is different for the PSAT than it is for the SAT. Um, so the range of scores for the PSAT is from 320 to 1520, um, whereas the SAT is from 400 to 1600. Um, but anyway, they're going to see their total score. Uh, they're going to be able to click into their, their score report, and it's a four-page report that they actually see. Um, they're going to see uh, an overall score uh, that is an accumulation of what they got for their reading-writing uh, tests as well as their math tests. Um, there are two of each of those tests on the actual PSAT and on SAT. Um, with That score is going to show them where they are in uh, percentile rank uh, nationally with anybody else that, that took the PSAT um, in this calendar year. They're going to be able to see their test scores in different uh, subject areas. They're, they have a reading score, they have a writing and language score, and a math score. And that's just a typically a, a single or double digit score that goes anywhere from 8 to 38. So they get a general sense of that. Um, they then can take a look into the actual questions that they, that, that they were asked and see how they performed on those questions, um, as well as what the difficulty level of those questions was. Um, online, they can actually click on the, the question to see you know, if they got one wrong or, or a few wrong, they can see what that question was and go back and see what the actual question, you know, asked and um, and what the correct answer was. So they can kind of dig into that a little bit. Um, and then lastly, you know, they can also, uh, well, maybe not lastly, but they can see what questions they omitted. So one trick with these kinds of tests is we really encourage students to answer every question. Um, the way that these kinds of tests are scored, they're scored based on the number of questions that are answered correctly. It's not based on a percentage of what is answered correctly. Um, so uh, it really doesn't do a student any good to not answer a question. Um, so, you know, as silly as it sounds, the recommendation is if they get down to those last couple minutes and they have a few, you know, circles still to fill in, to go ahead and fill in those circles because, uh, you know, they might randomly get, they have a 25% chance of getting a correct answer. Um, and then, you know, the next level of recommendation is that they do sync these scores with Khan Academy. Um, whether they use that, that resource or not, it is a really nice free resource 
um, that's going to be customized. It's going to be based on, you know, building a training platform around what a student is weakest in based on their PSATs rather than an entire SAT sort of training platform. So fee-based uh, programs that students can participate in. We've often had classes through the access program here, um, there, but the Khan Academy program is really robust and then that it's free. And it just takes a little bit of motivation from the student to sit down and dig in and do it. But again, all of that has to be paired with, I would say, conversations with your school counselor to figure out how much time and effort do you put into prepping? Are the scores even necessary at the schools you're looking at? If you're looking at some of the University of California schools out West, they are test blind. They don't want them. So, so really have those conversations with your school counselor to determine what's necessary and what's not. The only other thing I will add is that as, as we talk about the tests and we start moving into this idea of, of tests and comparing students one to the other, um, you know, it's a great opportunity to have a conversation as a family about not trying to compare yourself with your peers and not saying, you know, what'd you get on the test? Where'd you get into college? You know, somebody is always scoring higher or lower and, you know, your information, um, you know, is your own. And I think it creates a lot of undue stress um, when um, we continually ask students, what'd you get on your SAT? What'd you get on your ACT? Where are you going to college? That's one of the reasons we stopped going into class to get yeah. results is it, it created that, it threw the entire class off track for the day because it was all that yeah. that peer-to-peer um, comparison. Yeah. And so I think, you know, having students travel on their own journeys and, and um, you know, be proud of who they are and we will help them with that um, is really important to keep in mind as we begin this, uh, this journey that includes testing. So a couple other notes. Uh, counselors are going into all um, written communication classes to start talking about the college search process and the essay writing process. Um, there is a college panel night that Sarah O'Hare Hughes and I host in January, which we'll have a link for in this show where we get to interview probably seven or eight local colleges about their application process. Um, we're going to link to the Khan Academy test site. We're going to link to the College Board uh, website so you can maybe dig in and find your scores. Uh, we're going to link to the FAIR test, which Susie mentioned. Um, and I, it's a lot of linking that is available. And if you have questions along the way, don't hesitate to reach out to your school counselor. Ryan, am I missing anything? Well, the only other thing I would add is that there is a letter that's going to be sent home um, to parents of 11th graders um, about, you know, looking at the PSAT scores. Um, and there's a letter and score report going home around the plan test too, correct? I think, it's already gone I think that one's gone out. The yeah. PSAT is still to come. Um, that PSAT score will have a link directly to this very podcast. So, um, those who find this podcast through that link, we would love to hear from you. That That's uh, how this connection happened. All right. Thanks, everybody. We'll talk to you next week, and then it is break. Over and out. We thank you all for listening. And as we mentioned in the podcast, next week there will be 
Um, next week's podcast will be with three local colleges and universities, UVM, Middlebury, and Dartmouth, and representatives and admissions um, directors of admissions from each school uh, where we talk about the holistic review application review process how are they integrating standardized testing into this process and how it's impacting the decisions that they're making on campus and we hope you'll join us then in the meantime enjoy the snow day tomorrow and we'll talk to you all next week bye-bye